Hallelujah. Well, we're going to get started, but I want you to know that phenomenal things are happening around the globe. Don't believe all the bad news. Don't believe that um, faith is waning or diminishing. Faith is increasing. And though it may seem sometimes like uh, uh, there's some ebbs and flows here in Canada, uh, faith has never consumed China as much as it does today. Uh, here, here's another piece of news. Um, a friend of mine who's doing a lot of work in Syria, he said, this year, Syria did not officially celebrate Ramadan for the first time ever. Syria, I mean, they, he, said, he said, there is a door of opportunity in Syria. They are so done with Islam uh, I mean, they've seen the face of Islam, and they are, they are so done with it. So on top of that, there were significant leaders from Egypt, and tens of thousands are coming to the Lord in Egypt, in Iraq, in Syria. And, uh, and so the best days are ahead of us. The greatest days of the glory of God are in front of us. Remember that passage from John? It says, the true light is shining and the darkness is passing away. That was 2,000 years ago. Because why? Why is that happening? The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter till the full day. And so we're going to celebrate the Lord here as others make their way in. But I really want you to lean into God this morning. Can we do that? Can we actually pull on all the, all the cords of our thoughts and really give him our attention today? Father, in the name of Jesus, we say that you are worthy of praise. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you deserve that we would pour out our love to you, King of kings and Lord of lords. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. Just lean in it. Remember, we're entering the courts of the Lord. We are, we are on a journey. We are drawing near to him. He said, you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. And Lord, this morning we want to say that we want to find you. We want more of you today. So we're going to seek you with all of our hearts. I feel like in our worship, we're at this place where we've been accustomed that somebody gives us a push into the next place. But that's not happening anymore, and it's simply hap not happening because God is saying, it's your turn. It, I want you to provide the push for somebody else. And whereas before, maybe you're thinking, you know, oh, uh, if only somebody on the ba on the, in the band would do this like that other time, or if we would sing this song, or if I could go, you know, I could really give myself to God in worship. Well, God is saying, in the absence of others that were there to help you, it's your turn now to help others by taking that step of faith, by leaning in to the supernatural. And all these songs so far have been saying, they've been challenging us to believe, challenging us to step past our current problems and the challenges and the distractions of this moment and to say, He is worthy of my praise. No matter what's happening in my life, no matter what circumstances are there, I must honor him first. I must worship him first. I'm not here with my list of things to present to God and say, God, if you would make these things right, then I will worship you with all my heart. He's saying, no, you worship me with all your heart and believe Believe, because when you, when you worship me like that, you draw me into the situations of your life. That's what you do. You create a place for me to come down. 
Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, God, that you are training and leading us. And Lord, we are, we are eager to increase in what you're doing in the kingdom of God. Amen. Uh, actually, why don't we have those that were, were in Montreal with us come forward here? Because uh, we had two gatherings, which are essentially kind of kingdom conferences in Montreal. One was, uh, one was Canadian. It, uh, it was for the, the Church of Canada. We had about 2,500 people there. And then we had another smaller one afterwards, which I expect to be about 200. It ended up being 500 from leaders from mostly all over the world. Short and sweet, if you don't know what a gathering is, leaders from around the world get together to be family. And that's the whole purpose. It's loving one another, trusting one another, walking together, um, developing relationships, supporting one another, etc. So for a quick, important understanding of why this is important, a guy sitting the row ahead of us and at the end of the row uh, leads one of the streams of the Chinese underground church worth maybe a hundred million Christian believers. And he's not on stage. So these are the people that are around you. You don't know what country, what they represent necessarily because they're not flashing a badge, but this is the body together, blessing one another, ebbing and flowing, and there's moments of high praise, intense presence of God, and then there's moments where it's pure family, and you're enjoying the kids, and you're pinching the bridge of your nose going, is it going to be that long again? Uncle so-and-so is talking too much. Like it, It's literally family. And somehow in the midst of all of that, it's beautiful and wonderful, and all the training that we do here in worship and whatnot is really how they function in the international setting. So you wouldn't be a a fish out of water to be there, you would pretty well understand what's going on and uh, be ahead of the curve in a lot of cases. I'm always stirred every time I go there, um, the role of Canada in the nations and the the very fact that this time they were talking about Canada being a womb, a safe place for the nations to be birthed. And the first time, the gathering kind of took place for 10 10 or so years and then there was a little bit of break in Canada and then we're starting again. So the first time it was for Canada. It was a womb for Canada to to be restored and to be birthed of the spirit. And this time they just uh, reiterated over and over again how that Canada is a place for the nations. And, and we would have, so when Cam was talking about the family part, it's just interactions all over the place, um, not only from the stage, but but in the hallways. And I can't even tell you how many people from other nations came to even just us in the hallways and said, we can't do this without Canada. Canada is um, the healing of the nations. And so if we try to find healing for a nation without Canada, we actually are not complete. So that's us. We are Canada. We actually have a piece of uh, bringing healing to the nations. And so when I go, each time I learn how to pray more effectively. Um, Carol Lovejoy was there, and she's been she's in Alberta. Um, but she actually had roots in Montreal. She had like 260 years ago or so. Um, so it's kind of funny. Like, it's, like Canada's 150 years old, but we're walking around and we're seeing banners for 375. And it's like, what's that all about? But that's Montreal. Montreal is actually 375 years old. Um, and so way older, like twice as old as Canada. And so anyway, she had roots. And so uh, I think uh, a, a son was born. Um, and when he was 18, he moved out to Alberta. And that's why she is here. But she is um, a Native woman. And she walks in the authority of Jesus Christ. And, and she, first of all, she opened, as a gatekeeper, she opened the land for the King of Glory to come in. But she also welcomed Canadians, and she also welcomed the nations. But later on, she said, um, and we actually made a declaration over Canada, but she said, my heart, I'm aligning my heart that Canada would be restored to God's intent. 
God's original intent. And when she said that, I recognized this is how we can pray for Canada and this is how we can pray for the nations. That God's original intent for our nation and for each nation would be reestablished on the earth. And, and just a, a, a sobering little thought as well, um, which was that you know, there's a recognition that with what we did getting together as churches across Canada through, you know, from the late, really from 1998, 1999, all the way to, to 2005, really brought something in Canada, and we saw some significant shifts. You remember, we saw shifts in the political, we saw shifts in the church, we saw significant things happening. Uh, you know, the, the way the Prime Minister made some declarations over Israel. In fact, Stephen Harper is recognized today as still the greatest friend that Israel has had in the common, like in the current era. And uh, in fact, when we were in Israel last year, people would talk, walk up to us and when they found out we were Canadian. Remember, they said, oh, we love your previous Prime Minister, right? I mean, they just, you know, they recognize that. So things happened, but there's also a recognition that since 2005, we've actually given background. And you kind of go, whoa, wait a minute. But, you know, it's almost like we liked where it was and we didn't stand on guard the same way. We kind of went, okay, well, that, that was a season and that's kind of done and then we're moving on to the next thing. And so to me, there was this sobering thing about, hey, wait a minute. Now we need to take back that ground and learn to occupy. Learn to take it, learn to hold it. We have, as a country, we've slid back a ways and we want to retake that ground. When we're talking about family, I had the unique privilege of getting together with a group of the young people, sort of between the ages of 17 to 30, so the millennial generation, before the gathering. And one of the things that was released right at the end of that was um, one of the fathers who was there uh, released this thing at the end to say, I give you permission to do three things. I give you permission to walk together without comparison, to walk together without competition, and to walk together without getting offended. I thought it was interesting that he said permission. But the whole rest of this gathering, there were so many opportunities for me personally to walk in any one of those three things. Um, even during the young people time, there was a release of some, uh, some of the creative expressions actually in hip hop. And uh, there was this calling, uh, there were some declarations that were being made, and I had this burning in me to say, okay, it's great that we're calling for the release of this, but I also feel like calling for those who are in this sphere, who have left the church, who have left the family, to come back home. And like, it was just like burning in me. And so I submitted that to one of the leaders, and they were like, yeah, that's what's happening right now. And I was like, ah, well, sort of. Um, and then somebody else right afterwards came up, and they were like, you've got something, don't you? And he basically released that same thing that I have on my heart. And there's like any number of examples of times during, uh, during the whole gathering where there was something that I could have released but wasn't actually released to do so. And what was amazing is by having that declaration right at the beginning, this was the release to truly walk together in family because I could actually watch as people who were, were doing the things that I felt like I had on my heart and... As the attack came, sometimes all three of those things at the same time, it was like, no, actually, I've been released to simply agree with you and release you into all the things that you're doing. And this is, this like transformed, I think, the entire time. And uh, by the end of everything, there was even just a whole bunch of young people walking through the streets of Montreal and singing and releasing and crazy stuff happened that I would love to share with you if you have questions, but just like... There was no more competition or comparison. It's not my gifting versus your gifting. There was no, oh, well, so-and-so got to release and I didn't. It was just breaking all that off. And it was amazing. And I'm, I'm like, this is, this is more than anything, if there was something to export from the gathering and bring here, that is what I would want, is that true walking together in family. Let's break off any of the hindrances and just love on each other. Amen. So three things, right? No offense. No competition, no comparison. Having said that, I think Curtis was one of the tallest young people there. Anyway, <laughs> you know, there is a system out there that thinks the problem is distinctions between us. That's not the problem. 
And I mean, communism, the, communism political system that, that says, listen, if we just even everything out, there'll be no problem. The problem is that one country has more than another, that one people has more than another. No, that's not the problem. The problem is envy in the heart of man. That's the problem. Heaven is built uh, in multi-tiered systems. There are, you know, Jesus, Jesus said specifically, he said, if, if you're going to a feast and, and you come in, take the lower place lest somebody greater comes in. Somebody what? Greater? There's no one greater. We're all the same. No, Jesus never abolished differences. There are, in the kingdom of God, there are always greater and lesser. But the thing is, it's the envy over somebody's greater that causes offense, not the fact that somebody has more than you. And that's, that's the atmosphere we're trying to establish. Not eliminate distinctions, eliminate the tension over those distinctions. Where I am content with who I am, with who God made me. So, so hallelujah. We're, uh, we're moving that direction. So let me, I, I, I have a bit of a word here, and then we're going to go back into worship. But uh, before I, I do that, I wanted to share a couple of things. I don't want to share too much because it was an amazing event. I, I personally had two significant, super significant experiences. I'm not sure how much I want to share right now uh, about them. But let me just uh, reference the second one because I think it applies to what I feel is happening somewhat this morning to us. But when I became a Christian back in 1982 and, uh, you know, the glory of the Lord came into the bar where I was in Cold Lake, Alberta, and I mean, launched me and went to Bible college, et cetera, et cetera. When I went to Dallas, Texas and happened to go to Christ for the Nations, I, I received many, 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 many prophetic words. And during that time... God sort of forged a picture of of who he was making me to be, what I was intended to do. And it was it was quite powerful and uh, but that's been like 82 to here. What's that? 18 33 years? 35? Okay, thanks. 35 years and some of that has not come to pass. In fact, most of that has not yet come to pass. And so after a while, you know, when you start, you know, you're on your way in this direction and, and some of those plateau things that you feel you're going to accomplish in your life are not coming to pass, you, you start to wonder, well, you know, I mean, do I, should I still hold out for that? Like, is, is that, maybe, you know, was that, was that, you know, maybe that's for my children. Maybe, you know, you're trying to, you get all these reasonings. So anyway... I mean, I've been, I've been walking through some of that the last five years, particularly because I'm 55 now, which means I only have another 100 years left. <laughs> now, now I, I'm 55, so I'm, you know, I, I don't know how old I'm going to be when I die, but, uh, you know, there is a limit to what you can do traipsing around the globe. Uh, if you're 82 or 83, 84, it tends to get a little harder. But anyway, so during one of the meetings, Mark DuPont was there, by the way. Mark DuPont was not planning on being there, but uh, Gideon gave him a little push. And uh, so he ended up being there, which was really good. And he was, uh, I don't think he was there for the first part. Was he there where you guys were there? He came just for the global gathering, the second half. And on one of the nights, um, after I had had this watershed experience the night before, he began to do an impartation and... Uh, I thought, uh, okay, well, this is, this is going to be interesting. So he began to, to sort of pray from the stage. And then he came down off the stage and prayed for a couple of people. I happened to be right, right close by. So he prayed for me. And I began to feel in my gut like, like, uh, a, you know, the, like a seizure, kind of like, like just this groaning, you know, Romans 8 style of groaning. And um, as I responded, it wasn't a massive experience. I didn't feel a lot, but I felt a lot of activity in my spirit. So I, I, I sort of went down on the ground, and I was, I was laying on the ground. And then my friend from Syria came over, and he began to prophesy over me. And for about 10 minutes straight, he prophesied, and he prophesied everything that God whispered in my ear when I first became a Christian. I mean, it was... It was 
it was so clear what he said. Now, I'm saying that because a part of what happened today in our worship, and I feel what, was, what, what, what God was trying to get us to push through in our worship is the tension between what you hope for and what you think you got right now. And, and a part of faith is ascending above those limitations and actually beginning to believe again and not settling for less or writing you know, those, those possible hopes and, and dreams up to something else that, that you know, well, maybe that wasn't God or maybe you know, in an ideal world or you know, maybe if I'd married somebody richer. You know, or this thing was sort of renewed for me. But one of the interesting things is he prophesied, probably, he used the word fire uh, probably 20 or more times in different forms. And then right after him, Ron Saka came up. He's a missionary to Japan. And he came up and he bent over me and he began to prophesy as well. And what he said, he said, I see this oven. And he said, this oven is going to actually ignite with a tremendous heat and there's going to be a fire. You are called to be a man of fire. And he said that fire is going to be like a kiln and people are going to be tested by that and people are going to be refined by that. He said, you've always had, you know, the, what do you call that little flame? The pilot light has been on, but it's like God is actually going to ignite this thing. Now, I'm, I'm saying this to say, listen, whatever, don't give up on the things that God first spoke to you when you became a Christian. What did you feel? And right now I'm going to pray I'm going to pray uh, for a renewal. And I know there's a lot of people who have been Christians a long time, and a lot of dreams have fallen to the ground, and a lot of things that you thought was going to happen in this way and in this time. Because my problem was that I decided on a timeline when God spoke to me about some of those things, and I decided that it must, for it to be legitimate, it must transpire by such and such a date. I wasn't that specific, but I wasn't thinking 35 years. And I don't think Abraham was thinking, you know, 20 or 25 years when God said, you're going to have a child, right? And so, so there is this seeming delay, but it isn't delay. It's just the time that it actually takes because what God is trying to do in us is bigger than we've ever thought. And, and you know, we, well, well, we were willing on one, you know, sort of sincere level, we were willing to do that and to enter that. And yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you. We didn't understand the cost of that, right? Which is typical. When the disciples said, you know, they wanted to sit at his right hand and on his left hand, he said, you don't know what you're asking for. You know, can you drink the cup that I drink of? Right? You know, I mean, he's saying, listen, there, to have that kind of resurrection power, there's a death required. Can you drink of that cup? And, uh, and you know, Little did they know. Anyway, he wasn't saying you don't have this calling because evidently, in fact, they did. But he's, he's taking issue with the fact that you don't understand what this is going to take. It's not the word is not true. You don't understand what this is going to take. And so the same can be said of us today. And so I pray right now for a renewal of those words, that those words should begin to come alive in the ground of your heart, that those things... Uh, that you, you saw yourself as an evangelist, whether you saw yourself as a fiery missionary, whether you saw yourself as a businessman or financial uh, uh, support for the kingdom of God or whatever way, whether you saw revival hitting the streets, whether you saw your family being redeemed, whether you saw cancers falling off people and people being healed or resurrected from the dead, uh, I want to say to you, it is time to dream and you have permission to dream. So we say, God, renew those dreams that you whispered in our hearts, God, when we were young, that, Father, uh, that we, we have let maybe drop to the ground or wondered if, wondered if, well, we wonder no more today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to share one little part of a story. I'm doing this mostly for my wife. Uh, one, of the, one of the conversations we've often had is that uh, she claims I don't cry. She says, you don't cry. She says, you know, you, your, your, your eyes may occasionally get moist. That's not really crying. You know, and, and the, to, to be honest, the reason why I don't cry is because uh, I blubber. You know, it's like, have you heard me sneeze? Anyway, 
I sneeze big. You know, it's, it's, it's a big production. <laughs> it seems my whole body, if I, ever, if I get sick, same thing. You know, when I'm in the bathroom getting sick, the whole house can hear it because everything in my body responds to that. Well, well when I weep, I weep. So, you know, you people that leak, be thankful for that. It's very dignified to stand there and leak and dab, 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 and, you know, very <laughs> wonderful-looking, you know, clean lines going down your cheeks. Good for you. Some of us, you know, are not so dignified when, when the dam breaks. And, and so, so there is this threshold that keeps that dam from breaking. I mean, it has to be, there has to be a lot on the other side of that. Anyway, uh, so the second night of our, our gathering, something happened. Now, this is going to tie in to our last song as well, because I'm believing for an impartation uh, around nations, around the heart for nations. Uh, we're not going to sing the song today, but we were singing the song, Heaven is My Throne and Earth is My Footstool. How many of you know that song? Well, where is the house you will build for me? There's a tremendous truth behind that. But there are, that, that is a prophetic song. And if there is a song that represents, you know, the deepest cry of my heart that God has touched me with, it's that song. And one of the lines in there is, who will hear the cry of my heart? And as God's saying, listen, I, my eyes are looking to and fro for one whose heart is perfect towards me. He's saying, listen, I have a desire. I have a cry. And I'm looking for people who will open themselves up to hear my cry. He, he's, I, you know, and I don't think God is, is petty and vengeful and everything. And he, and he doesn't look down on our cries for our situations. But what he really wants is a people who are concerned with the things that concern him. Like, can we lift, can we rise up above the immediate context of our world and come into his desire? Well, the history of the gatherings for me have been moments when I've been touched by that. And, and what keeps me coming back is there has been no other place where that sound of God's desire is so clearly felt or heard by me. It is, you know, there are other places that talk about nations, but there's something so pure in this cry of God's heart. He is looking for a people who, who will funnel that sound through their being. Anyway, uh, it began to happen while we were singing that song. And I, I wept and blubbered for an hour. And uh, it, was, it was, I was hoping somebody had video so they could send it to Wendy. <laughs> Just to prove that I do cry. But, uh, but here's, here's the thing that really is amazing. Is this thing in the heart of God is the greatest treasure I've ever felt from him. I mean, because it's, it's not about me. I mean, I love it when God comes near to me and I feel his love for me. And it gives me that sense of significance and gives me that sense of a place in his world. But this is, 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 is a whole other thing. It's like I felt his deep cry from before the foundations of the earth, what he is longing to do, what he is aching to do on the, on the deepest part of him. And what I felt is that there is a generation that is really going to get this, that there's a generation that is going to be gripped by the desire of God, they're going to actually rise above the fray of personal ambition and names and comparisons and competition and offense. And they're actually going to, they're going to be like laser-guided missiles. They are going to be focused on God's intent in everything they do. They're going to live and breathe and have their being in this passion and this fire. And it's coming, and I want so much for us to participate in that in as full a way as possible. But what I felt happened for me is that God, God, I don't even know, he, he, it's like he breathed through me and the bandwidth of my heart expanded uh, in a way that was, uh, I can't even put words to. 
So I'm going to try and tie some of those things into a few things I'm going to share here. Uh, and hopefully it's going to make sense when we're done. I was feeling this dynamic around Isaiah 54 too, and I'll read it to you. It's a typical piece of scripture that is often used whenever somebody is prophesying or suggesting to you that God is wanting to increase your sphere, that God's wanting to give you more influence. When he wants to lengthen the metron of your authority in the kingdom of God, usually people reference this sort of poetic language from Isaiah, which says this, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. You shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Obviously, contextually, it's a, it's a prophetic promise for, for Israel, you know, per- pertinent to you know, a, a particular situation. But the language has been used again and again and again. How many of you have had a prophetic word where somebody said, you know, lengthen the cords of your tent? Anybody? Okay, about a dozen. Okay, uh, who hasn't here? Put your hand up really high. Okay, here's a prophetic word for you. Lengthen the cords of your tent. All right, so you've all had one. <laughs> yeah. Now we're all on the same plane. All right, because the fact is, all right, God is wanting to uh, increase you. God is actually looking for you to participate in more. He's got more things for us than he has people he can give them to. In fact, when we were there in, uh, in uh, Montreal, I prophesied over this young worship leader from, uh, he's American, but he's living in Norway. But anyway, when I watched him worshiping, I, I saw him going into to the mountain of God. And so I went over to him afterwards and I, I prophetically explained to him what I saw him doing because I saw this purpose that God was wanting to do with him in songwriting and that he was going to have this place in the mountain of God. And he, he starts manifesting right away. And he's like, he just super, he said, he said, I had a vision. He said, and, and uh, two angels, in the, like eagle angels, picked me up and took me to a mountain and dropped me inside of a mountain. I mean, it was, it was a full-blown open vision. And he said, I was taken into this mountain. And the Lord began to speak to me, and he showed me rooms in the mountain. And he said to me, there are rooms in the mountain that I'm trying to find people to occupy. I am giving these rooms away. He said, but I can't find enough people who want to occupy them. And after, anyway, he said, he said, the reason why people don't want to go there, he said, the internal part of this mountain is like a volcano. It burns. Like the glory, the hot, white, melting fire of the Lord is in there, and it burns flesh. And so people can't stay there for very long because they're always trying to preserve their flesh. So he said, there was this thing where God wants to give places to people, but he can't find enough people. Now, wow, doesn't it make you want to, what's it going to take? What's it going to take? Well, whether you realize it or not, that's the promise you've been given. Because when God gives a promise of authority, I'm telling you, there's a reason that Satan coveted the, to be in the congregation of the north. There's a reason why, God, why Satan envied to occupy this place in the mountain. It's interesting. I don't know for sure, but it's interesting that the place that he wanted to occupy was the place of the congregation, the assembly of the congregation. And I'm wondering if that has to do with if we've actually inherited the thing that he wanted. Maybe that's what the rebellion was all about in the beginning, that he was going to create a people who were going to get what he wanted. Maybe that's why we have such a problem on earth with envy because somebody else has what I want. And maybe that's the gateway through which Satan most expresses himself because that was the dynamic that was in the mountain of God before the fall even. I'm just speculating. But it feels like there's something there. There is this promise of expansion and uh, of authority but the, what the Lord began to say to me is this. He says, I began to see that everybody wants to have an increased authority. 
When we're young Christians, you know, we learn to pray with authority. And usually when we learn to pray with authority, those prayers become largely made up of imperative language and volume, right? Emphasis on the right syllable, right? You know, we just, in Jesus' name, right? You know, and that, have you ever heard somebody trying to pray with authority that didn't have as much authority as they were articulating? Right? What's the, where's the disconnect? The disconnect is that the heart is not equal to the volume or the tone. You know, we can get very expertise in, you know, in articulating and having the right, you know, uh, the right delivery. And yet, God is saying, actually, what I want to do is change the hearts. What I want to, and, and this is what the Lord said to me. He said, I want to lengthen the cords of your heart. And I immediately saw that what he, what he wants to do is make you care about things you don't care about right now. Can I say that again? The foundation of authority in the kingdom of God is that you care. You care. You care. Things matter to you. And you do them because they matter. Because you see them as critical or vital, you actually are moved by a force other than obligation. You are moved by a force other than guilt or shame or anything else. Father, make that the catalyst for our authority today. Now, so what God is doing is before he actually gives you that you know, we think sometimes we think magically, right? If God's going to give me a different scepter, but the scepter, anything he gives you that's representing authority is an extension of actual authority. And actual authority is realized when your heart changes. And so, uh, you know, in my earlier years, I, I observed the techniques that people of of weighty countenance and authority had because I thought that was the key. It was, it was, a, it was, it was, I mean, I wasn't a complete hypocrite, but I just thought, you know what? I need to perfect the performance oriented side. But you know, some of us can do the performance oriented side really good, but not, and, and lag behind a lot on the other side. So God is saying, I want to extend the cords of your heart in order to extend the cords of your tent. I want you to care about more things. Now, one of the stories I love to share about that is, uh, well, let me, let me back up and ask this question first, then I'll share that story. What do you care about? I mean, really, what are you, what are you orienting around? What occupies the bulk of your energy emotionally? What occupies the bulk of your energy uh, mentally? What do you spend everything on? What are you oriented around? How far from from self-preservation, you know, you, you have this drive inside of you to exist and to be, and out from that we make sort of little ventures, you know, we care about this, well, we have children now, we must care about them, and, but we don't want to have too many because we don't have the capacity for care too many, to care for too many, right? So, so we, you know, we want to be careful because we want to be able to manage this thing, you know, in a way that we don't want to run out of caring, Right? So our caring can only reach so far out from us and before it returns to us. And that's our problem. How big is that sphere? What does it include? Does it include much more than me? And, I, and I'm the first to say this, that, that over the years what God has been doing is changing that because I have always been disposed and when God grabbed a hold of me I, and showed me his love, I mean, I was committed, but committed has to do with sincerity and intent, but doesn't have to do with capacity. You hear what I'm saying? It's actual capacity that God is trying to change and increase. The capacity of your heart to actually, you know, pull peop more people into it. So, you remember that story of Jerry Seinfeld I've told before the pool boy wants to be his friend and he does something so he kind of owes the pool boy and so he takes him out on a, a guy date you know they go out and do some things and the guy 
he's all excited about being Jerry's friend. And, and you know, at the end of the day, Sir Jerry's like, Ugh, you know, I don't care about this guy. I don't want this guy in my life. And, you know, the guy's wanting to go back to his place. And he's already spent, you know, eight hours with this guy. This guy's talking and, and Jerry's having to pretend he's interested. And, and uh, you know, and at the end of the day, he says, he says, you know, uh, Carlos or whatever his name is, he says, listen, you're, you're a nice guy, but I, I, I don't need any more friends. I have three friends already. And basically he said, I, I have no more room in my heart for more than three friends. That's all I can afford to care about. I mean, here's the, here's the tension. We know we should care about more, but we don't. But you, don't, you can't admit that, right? Because, you know, we're supposed to love everyone. So we develop all kinds of outs for ourselves. You know, what's reasonable? Wisdom? You know, what's normal? Well, you know. What is the length of that cord? What do I care about? And here's, here's, the, here's the thing that discovering more and more is that the sky is the limit. That God in you can increase the capacity of your heart. That it's not about pretending to look like you care, adapting to the language of those that actually care, looking like one of them, but actually caring. Now, how many of you have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? It's in the Bible. Let me read it. It's in Ezekiel sixteen forty-nine. So the reason God destroyed... Sodom and Gomorrah was because of their sin, right? But what was that sin? What really was that sin? Oh, yeah, it was homosexual. There was sexual perversion on a scale that's unimaginable. But there was more than that. Here, it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom, full of, full of pride, fullness of bread, Abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them as I saw good. We certainly know the abominations. But maybe we didn't understand the haughtiness, the pride. The pride was the root to everything else. Rebellion is fueled by pride. Okay, how far that rebellion goes into what kind of debauchery and, and, and uh, you know, antichrist spirit that stuff goes is up to the, you know, the purveyor of that thing. But it begins with pride. I don't need God. My way is better. But if you actually go to a couple other versions, before it says that they didn't take, they didn't take care of the poor and needy, it says, uh, what is the actual word? It says they were unconcerned. Unconcerned, unconcerned, complacent, unconcerned. And that's, that word really, really touched me, unconcerned. Because I feel like God is, is inviting us and he's established on the mountain. And he's inviting us to participate in the kingdom of God. And on various levels, we're seeing elements of that kingdom, whether it's the authority, whether it's the influence, whether it's the love of God, whether it's the prospect of eternity, ruling and reigning with him, whether it's, you know, like the disciples seated at his right hand and his left hand. What he's saying is, listen, that, that the requirement to ascend this mountain and to participate in this mountain is being concerned in the way that I am concerned. And that, that as you allow me to transform your heart, to actually begin to care beyond the tip of your nose, then I give you authority commensurate with the change of that heart. What he's saying, listen, I'm trying to bring you into into the image of Christ. And the image of Christ is this, love, concern. I, I look at the nations and I long for the nations to come into their destinies, God is saying. And what I'm looking for is not a people that just talk about the nations, but are actually concerned. Well, a part of the tension is, man, I, I don't even like my neighbor. 
And you want me to think about India? What are we, what's the problem there? Capacity. Capacity. What do we do? Well, I, th- I think maybe I'm not supposed to care. <laughs> That's a good out, right? No, it's, uh, the answer is always, God, change me. God, change me. Give me your heart. Some of us know that we are called to have authority. And, and I've known that for years and years and years. And, and I think, why is this taking so long? Like, give me that, give me more authorities. I'm trying. I'm trying. But your heart is so hard. And you're so focused on what you want. And all the, see, all of the tests, all of the challenge, all the things that we come up against, and the friction in our hearts and offense and competition, all these things that Curtis was talking about, is a materialization of that I'm mostly concerned about my lot in life. I mean, when Paul was writing about Timothy, he said, listen, all have left me and all seek their own. But Paul, as a son in the gospel, has adapted to my desire. Not because it's my desire, but it's we are in line. We are in this line. And so Timothy's coming up as a man of authority because he's seen in me this desire for the kingdom and he's adapted and aligned himself to that and asked God to give him that kind of heart. So we have several options as churches here, right? We, we can say, you know what? I think it's just a... You, you just have a different emphasis, that you, you have an emphasis on this, and, and, there is, and I have an emphasis on this. And it, there may be some truth to that. There may be a dim, dimension of calling and administration where you're called to have a heart for Spruce Grove. That may be. But what if it isn't? What if there's more to that? What if it, what is, what if it has to do with, I just don't believe I could care that much. I don't have that much room. All along, this has been my, my challenge where David Demian has challenged me again and again. And what he's challenged me by is the things he cares about. I can never really, until the last few years, I couldn't really put my finger on it. But he just cares so much about so many things beyond my Metron. And it's like, oh, I don't have room for them. But I, I stuck with him and, and lived in the tension of knowing that's something in me needed to change. Though I didn't always understand it. So we have a choice. We can say, you know what? Let's just, let's just keep it to a level that I can enter with. You know, let's care about the things that are closer to me. So what are the, okay, I'm, I'm concerned about this issue and we can start naming off social issues or things that represent geography or whatever. We don't want to do that. But because what we're saying is that's not illegitimate to have a sphere that you're presently comfortable in. The thing is, are we responding to his heart? When he says, listen, I'm looking for people. I have everything necessary for you to have a capacity. I can do that in you. I can make you care. I can create that kind of heart in you. And when, I, when he says, lengthen the cords of your tent... He's saying, listen, stretch. Stretch those cords and begin to care about something more. How do you do that? How do you, how do, you do it? Well, you have to die. And today in worship, when right in front of your face is this thing that preoccupies you, and you're like, I'm trying to worship God, but I'm so concerned about uh, that chicken I burnt. We don't have enough money. It's going to cost another $9 for another chicken and $4 in gas to go to Costco. I can't get past what occupies me. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on an orbit that's not very far from me. And God is saying, listen, can you step past that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Wow, what if... What does that mean? But I have all these things. God, you know, we've got a mortgage com- payment coming, and we've got, you know, uh, we've got this, and there's no security in my job, and, and the, you know, the union's going to vote, and blah, 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 and, and the economy, and, you know, I have no inheritance, and retirement's coming. And what am I going to do? 
He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. He said, listen, the death that I'm asking you to do to lengthen your cords is to begin to direct your heart towards that larger thing and ignore the thing that's right in front of you and thereby you're stretching the cords of your heart by deliberately going beyond what you can. Even if at first it seems artificial, even at first it seems pretentious because I want to do a miracle in your heart. I want to cause you to care. See, I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a businessman, and I talked to a lot of people who like to be businessmen. Oh, man, wouldn't it be nice if? You know, one of the things I started noticing, that successful businessmen, they actually care. Like, it's care. And I, I, I forgot to go to a bunch of scriptures. You know, faith that works by love, Galatians 5, 6. They care. And I remember that I was talking to this businessman and he said, you know, he, he was energized to get more work. He said, because I have, I have 150 men working for me who have families and mortgages and houses. I owe it to them to go and get work. Otherwise, they don't have a paycheck. Oh, it must be nice to have a business like that. You live in a big house. He's not driven by that. He's driven by the moral obligation, the responsibility, the caring that he has for his men and the caring that he has for his industry and the caring he has for the service he provides and the excellence. It's driven by another thing other than the paycheck at the end of the day. And I I remember thinking, oh, wow. I bet you a lot of the people that like to be wealthy are not driven by this. And I'm wondering... How many people? And it doesn't mean that everybody who's wealthy has that, but in the kingdom of God, that is the essential ingredient. Do I care? Do I care? And maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't even know, I don't even know how to do that in my business. I, that's okay. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to teach us and change our hearts. What if the missing ingredient to some of those promises that I have in my life is caring more than the reputation I get by walking in those things, than the significance that comes to me by virtue of the fact that I'm connected with something that's that scale? What if that's just the outer thing and the inner thing? It's just this heart that it matters. So, Father, we want to say today, and this is what I really want you to lean into, what is your desire? What, what is it? Because when the other night when this thing was flowing through my being and I, I exploded, I mean, it, was, it felt so precious because I felt this was the secret cry of God's heart. And the fact that he would share it with me was an unbelievable treasure. The fact that I could feel this desire, but it, it was so much more. I felt like my body could not handle it. I felt like emotionally it was too great. So, I mean, I was, I was lost in abandonment, and I didn't care because his desire had no place to rest, and I had very little capacity for it. So, Father, I pray that as we... As we sing that, Lord, something of your cry would rest upon us today. I want to declare that the destiny of this church is true. And all it lacks are hearts to occupy the space that God has called us We need to care about it before he will give us authority over it. And that's why he said over and over to Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? I'm not going to give you authority over my sheep until you care about me and therefore care about my sheep. Because this thing, it's not just a position. You have to have my heart because you're ministering my heart. And if this church is called to serve this geographic region, we have to care. 
We have to care about all the churches. We have to care about all the people. We have to care about the economic supply. We have to care about the food supply. We have to care about a a lifestyle that God wants to give everyone. Because God's heart is, I want to bless on every level. Do we care? And I'm going to, this, this thing here represents the, my place. And for years and years and years, I, I haven't been able to step across this threshold. Around the gatherings when I was first there, I was concerned, what is my place in this? And I felt uncomfortable because my, my place wasn't established. And what God is saying, listen, it's never going to be established until you kill the preoccupation with your place. When's my time? What about me? In a, in a, in a family, when a man is saying to his wife, what about me? You, you're failing right there because you need to step across. It's not about you. It's not about you. And that's the thing that's right in front of us. That's the blinder that keeps us from seeing in that wide way. What about me? What about my place in this church? Well, how come I'm not an elder? How come people don't respect me more? How come, how come this? How come he got that and I don't? It's that envy, the competition, the comparison because we are focused on what about me? And God is saying, let me set you free. Let me set you free. And Father, we want to say we want to be free. We want to labor that you would have your inheritance. If we want to say it again and again, you will have your inheritance. We live to give you your inheritance. This is what it means to seek the kingdom of God. We live to give you your inheritance. And we are going to turn our backs on that grounding force that says, what about me? In Jesus' name. That's the threshold that we got to cross to enter our destiny. I want us to sing that again. You will have your inheritance because every time we stand to worship, every time we're challenged with one of these, we got to say, you will have your inheritance because if you have yours, mine will fall to me. I want us to begin to lay down your goals for financial security. Your, your goals to, I'll feel better when I cross this particular threshold. What does that look like? Is it a, a job? Is it a career? Is it marriage? Is it so many kids? Is it a kind of house? Is it a, a certain kind of income? What is that secure place that, that you're aiming for? When I have that, then... Then I'll really focus. No, you won't. Cross that. Lay that down. Lay that down. Lord, we are giving ourselves to you today to say that we will pursue you in your kingdom. Oh, as Pastor Mark was speaking, I heard very clearly the Lord say to me that you accepted something I didn't have to give you. And I saw a picture of a pacemaker. And I actually remember the moment that it happened where I chose in me that I was, I didn't want to hear the sound of the heartbeat, that irregular heartbeat that just is so frantic and chaotic and unpredictable. But you know it's the one you need to follow. But it was just feeling so stressful that I decided I needed something that was a little more stable. At least I thought. And here I am now with this pacemaker, this man-made thing in me that's causing my heart to beat regularly. But it's so mundane. And it's so just drowning out everything else in my life. And it feels so very nice numb and but God if you take it out am I gonna die am I gonna die what's gonna fall apart oh God we ask that you would come in and just rip out 
rip out the expectations, the sedatives, the things, the comfort, the familiar that we hold fast, the image that we try to hold. Rip that pacemaker out, God. We need to hear your heart. We need to align ourselves with your heartbeat. And you are the most steady, steady thing for us. But God, to us, it sounds so chaotic. Oh, and when Paul started playing that drum beat, it was like the drum was continuous. But then he went into this different sound. And I just declare that sound over us, that we would be following that sound, the sound of your heartbeat, God. We need your beating, not ours, not ours, oh God. Oh God, we cry out, we cry out for your heartbeat. I speak it over all of us for our ears to be open, that we could hear the heartbeat, that our bodies would respond to the beat, the things that are locked up in us. Shake it off, shake it off, unplug our ears, rip it out, whatever it takes, rip it out, rip it out. All the man-made systems that, are, that enlarge us are made to make up the gap between our heart and the success we desire. Father, hmm, I, I just feel like God is offering us a change of heart on a quantum level to lay the axe to the root of things that have anchored us. I rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ that has come to steal, kill, and destroy the destiny of this church, that has come to steal, kill, and destroy the destiny of the people of this church. And God, we say, change our hearts just keep leaning in I feel like there's still some deep shifting that God wants to do in our hearts the covenant is that I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh in a moment Saul was turned in to another man he didn't keep his course but that was, that was choices he made but he was turned into another man. Like that. Like that. Lord, breathe into our hearts. And expand. 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 Expand, expand. Now, I want to I want to do something that, if you're visiting, we virtually never do here. But I feel it's critical to this moment. But we're going to take an offering for missions that were coming out. We were thinking about doing something later, but it says where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And uh, as a part of my journey, God has always asked me to give sacrificially to seed into where I wanted my heart to be. And with each stage, that expansion, he said, I said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So there's something because our, so much of our heart is anchored to our treasure, my place, my role, my provision, me. When we give, we're allowing that expansion to take place. And so this is going to go towards uh, some ministry that's coming up for India and France. We're going to do that. I believe that when we sow into things, I mean, at gatherings, the Lord calls me, and again and again, if you want this, sow into it. 
sow into it. How much of it do you want? Let that be reflected in your gift. He, t- he would tell me, how much do you want this? Do you really want this? Don't consider, this is what he told me, your supply. So, Father, we want to seal this thing. Now, here, I want us to come and give our offering because uh, I feel there's something holy to the Lord. And so, Father, we, uh, we want to seal this morning what you're trying to do in our hearts. Tell you what, Jenna, can you bring us a flag, a Canadian flag? We're going to lay the Canadian flag out here and we'll put our offering on that. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we're going to sing this song again. You will have your inheritance. And as we are giving... We are, envision yourself laying this for the inheritance of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we give today for your inheritance in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, as we close this meeting, we say you will have your inheritance. And we want to join heaven in its determination that you will have all the glory and all the honor starting with our hearts. So we say, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.